Well, let me add my happy Easter uh, to you today. I know that this is circumstances and this is not how any of us wanted Easter to be, but there is a message for us today. And I think it's incredibly powerful. And as I drove in today, if you're aware, a storm rolled in last night and kind of parked this morning. So as I was coming in this morning, it was still pretty early and I was driving in in this rain and with the lightning and the thunder going, it was just really dark. I just thought, boy, that just kind of seems like this Easter, doesn't it? Just we're in a dark time and it's just not very bright or hopeful right now in some ways. Well, I came in, I started doing things that I need to get done for this morning, prepare for this broadcast. And a little bit later, Marcia, who comes in and helps us each, each Sunday, she, she came in and she told the small group of us that were here getting ready, she said, you need to come look outside the sky. Now, remember, the last thing I had seen was just this dark, stormy sky. And let me share a picture. I took a picture of what we saw. This is what we walked out to. And so the light of Easter in many ways breaking through even this dark time. And that was taken just this morning, just before we began this live stream. And so I hope that this Easter comes to you in a place where I know we're sheltered in place and there's lots of concern. There's lots of fear. There's lots of doubt about what's going on. So many of our lives have been interrupted. It's been interrupted and disrupted and frustrated, hasn't it? Think about all the different things that have been scheduled that have been canceled now. And so many people are now wrestling with the economic impact of this. And there's concern about what's it mean to be on furlough? What's it mean to be laid off? How, how do you access some of the unemployment things? Frustration there. Obviously, there's still the medical concern of, am I going to get sick? Will I make somebody else sick? Uh, what happens if I do? And all of our medical personnel that are working the front lines, trying to make that so effective and so, uh, so get ready for what we keep describing as the way that's going to come and be with us. And then life kind of goes on. Some people are struggling with other things already, even before we got into shelter in place. So it's definitely a different kind of Easter, isn't it? Well, there's a message here, and I'm going to begin with a story about a minister named William Sangster. And he was a minister born in the 1900s and ministered in, in England through most of the 20th century and was a very prolific and powerful ministry and loved God's Word and loved to preach God's Word. In fact, he believed that God had given him his voice to preach and he had a wide-ranging ministry and even wrote several books on how to preach and I've been blessed by them. Well, later in his life, he received or came down with a, a neurological disease, a muscle degeneration disease. And it began to affect his throat. And it made it almost impossible to speak. And as it progressed, it even made it difficult to impossible to swallow. One, an Easter Sunday, just a few weeks before he was to pass away, he was now doing only writing to communicate. And so he had a legal pad next to him and his daughter was tending to him. And he writes out on a legal pad on this Easter Sunday. And I'm going to share this quote because I think this quote speaks to us today as we're sheltered in place. Here's the quote from William Sangster. How terrible to wake up on Easter and to have no voice to shout, He is risen. 
far worse to have a voice and not want to shout. This isn't the Easter that we wanted, but we have reason to shout, He is risen. And one of the things that I want to bring to you today is this belief that even though we're sheltered in place, in many ways we're isolated from one another, we're, we're locked off and we're worried about death, worried about sickness, worried about what's going to happen tomorrow, we're worried about how is this all going to resolve itself. What I want to suggest to you is this puts us in the same place as the disciples on the very first Easter. The dynamics are incredibly similar. So what I want to do is I want to walk you through a passage of Scripture that I believe reveals this to us and uh, gives us a message that we need for today. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to step out of the Gospel of Luke for today. I'm going to pick it up next week. We're going to be back in the Gospel of Luke. But for today, for this message, I'm going to go to the Gospel of John And if you have your Bible, John chapter 20 is where I'm going to be. And I'm going to walk through part of that text, and then the other part of it I'm going to to read. So we'll be in the last half of John 20, but right now I'd like you to be finding that. Because the disciples have experienced a kind of interruption and disruption that you and I have experienced. Their life was all headed in one direction. They had followed Jesus. They had left their homes. They had left their families. They had walked away from businesses. They had invested their lives and spent three years with Jesus. They had seen him do the miraculous. They had heard him teach the incredible. He taught with a power and authority. And then it all goes sideways. The plan that he had been telling them, but nobody wanted to hear, came to pass. Suddenly, the authorities swoop in. He has one last night with them, And then in a garden, they swoop in and they arrest him. And they go through a series of mock trials, a kangaroo court in many ways. Disciples that said they would never leave him begin to even deny that they know him. One betrays him. And then he's put under a scourge or a beating, a whipping. And then he endures an execution an execution that's even hard for us to imagine today. I know we've turned the cross into a piece of jewelry, but understand it was never intended to be a piece of jewelry. People didn't wear crosses. Crosses wore people. And Jesus willingly lays down his life on the cross. And the disciples, the vast majority, are not even there. They're watching at a great distance and they see Jesus, the one that they believed in, the one they trusted in, the one they thought was going to redeem all of their hopes, they saw him die. And because they were too scared, somebody else came along and retrieved the body off of the cross, and it was put into a borrowed tomb. And nobody anticipated what was coming on Sunday. You remember, nobody was set for that first Easter morning. The disciples did not gather around the tomb on, on Sunday morning and do some kind of countdown. Like, like we've had knowing that today is coming up. We've been experiencing the Holy Week together through these text messages that have been going out. And if you've been a part of that, I hope that's been a blessing to you. But we did not, we, we went through that knowing 
a countdown, knowing this is going to be a final message that goes out, that he has risen. Nobody gathered around the tomb on that morning waiting for the moment, and they went 10, 9, 8, and they started counting down, and ta-da, Jesus appeared. No, no, no. Instead, they were sheltered in place. They were scared, and they were afraid. And they were huddled together trying to figure out what their next move was going to be. And in your imagination, the best you can, step into that moment. Because in that moment, they're dealing with their regret. They're dealing with their shame. You know, Peter is weighed down by the burden that he denied even knowing Jesus in the moment when Jesus needed him the most. And here they are. I can only imagine that nobody's talking to anybody. And they're just in that, that sense when you know, grief and tragedy and despair just hang thick in the room like smoke. Well, Sunday comes along. And what happens on Sunday morning is that Mary Magdalene, she goes to the tomb because she's going to try and she's going to anoint the body because the burial happened so quickly that it didn't even have time for a proper burial, a proper anointing. So she's going to add some spices and some aromatics into the body to mask the odor and give Jesus what she believes he deserves in a way to honor him. And so she goes out to the tomb and trust me, everybody knew where the tomb was. And she actually intends and expects to encounter guards because it was under Roman control. And when she gets there, the scene is unlike anything that she expected because there are no Roman soldiers. And in fact, a large rock that would have been used to seal the tomb was gone, rolled out of the way, and she finds... She can't even begin to explain. The tomb's not, it's, it's empty. It's not there. And so she runs back and she finds two of the, the apostles, Peter and John. And she just lets them know, she says, they've taken the body. And think about this. They've taken the body and they've hidden it. And I don't know where they've hidden it. Now, again, nobody is expecting the resurrection. Nobody's expecting Jesus to be alive the assumption is, and this is an assumption that I would have had, that you would have had in that moment when you go to find the body and show up at the funeral and be present and you open the casket and the body's not there. You don't wonder, did they come back? You wonder who has taken this body. And so, entrance and he peers in. And Peter, one that kind of blows into every situation that he ever comes in contact with, he runs right into the tomb, and there they see the burial clothes. The clothes that would have been taken if the body had been moved. But they stay alive. We may be experiencing some technical difficulties. If we do, we're just going to keep rolling along, and the group's going to fix it. Let me check, do we have it back? Okay. They would have found, they found the, the burial clothes that would have been around him, and there they are laid out because he doesn't need them anymore. But again, they don't know the end of the story like you and I know the end of the story, so they go back wondering what this means. And that's where I want to pick up our story. Again, with them in their doubt, with them in that moment of wondering, what does all this mean? They go back 
and they gather together, and in every way they're sheltered in place. And I want to show you that in John chapter 20, and I want to pick it up in verse 19. You can find these scriptures along. If you want to print them out, by the way, you can print them out and follow along that way. But John chapter 20, verse 19 says this. On the evening of that first day, again, this is the Sunday. This is the Sunday when Mary's come back and says, we don't know where the body is. And now Peter and John have come running back. On the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the, and here we are, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. See, they're sheltered. They are still concerned that the Jewish leaders are going to finish the job. They've, they've taken out the so-called Messiah. They've taken out the would-be king. But with that kind of momentum behind them, will they just come and sweep up anybody that's been associated with the movement? Will they start to put on trials? Will they start to arrest and persecute people? And so they're scared. Now understand, they're depressed, they're despondent, their lives have been totally turned upside down, and they're scared. With the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now, think about that moment. You've got the doors locked, and suddenly Jesus is standing in the room. And you know the initial response would be fear, right? I mean, they're already afraid. Now, this happens, and if you're Peter, do you wonder what the first thing that's going to come out of his mouth is going to be? Is he going to make eye contact with you and call you out in front of everybody else for denying that you even knew him? Because that's what I would be thinking. That's what I would be, because I would be so racked with my guilt and my shame that I would just, this is it. And yet Jesus' first words are, peace be with you. And he speaks that into them. And, and so many of you need to hear that today, that as you're sheltered in place and as you feel isolated, as you feel cut up, peace be with you is the message that comes. And look, let's keep going on with this. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me. I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. He's turning the mission over to them. So Jesus shows up inside of a locked door, inside of a locked room. And he says, peace be with you. In fact, he says it twice in this passage, and you're going to see a third time where he says it again. He's repeating, peace be with you, peace be with you. And you know that he said other things. But John records this phrase three different times because it's what they needed to hear so desperately in this moment. That he comes and he speaks, peace be with you. And he shows them his hands. And what's he showing them? He's showing them scars. He's showing them the results of the crucifixion. He's showing them what he's in, endured. And it's his calling card in many ways. It's his proof for that. And then he breathes on them. Which I thought was a really interesting phrase considering 
we're now wearing masks and we're so cautious not to breathe on somebody. What he is doing is he is imparting to them the mission. He's blessing them with the power of the Holy Spirit. He's calling them into this new life and he's sending them forth. In many ways, he's giving them this contagion. He's giving them this, this pandemic that he wants to go around the world. And it begins in this moment. Well, there's one disciple that's not there. And I'm going to show you his story here. Picking up again in verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. Now, Thomas has an unfortunate nickname. He's called Thomas the Doubter or Doubting Thomas. And if you've ever had a nickname where it's just kind of stuck, it's something that maybe happened in middle school or happened in elementary school and you just got landed with this nickname and you never could shake it, you understand Thomas. Because Thomas is no different than the others. Thomas just wasn't present when they had all the evidence handed to him. So he asked the same kind of question that they asked. He said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, because they told him, he showed us the nail marks. Unless I see the nail marks and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. It, he's not being stubborn. He's being reasonable. He's saying, I believe you guys are lying to me. I, I've got to see this. I've got to know this because this sounds too good to be true. So look at this. A week later... His disciples were in the house again, and Thomas this time was with them, though the doors were locked. So they're still in this mindset. They still don't understand what all this changes, and fear still seems to be driving this. So with the doors locked, Jesus came and stood among them. And here he says it again, Peace be with you. Then he said, Thomas, put your finger here. And see my hands, reach out your hand, put it into my side, stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, and here's where Thomas gets it absolutely right. My Lord and my God. See, we give Thomas the unfortunate nickname. But Thomas is the first one in this scenario after the resurrection to profess who Jesus is. He sees the nail-scarred hands. He sees the wound in the side, and he believes fully. He's all in now. With Jesus standing in front of him, he says, my Lord and my God, and he breaks out into worship. There's the response to the resurrection, this one of worship. It shifts from fear into worship. Here's how the story finishes. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. And this is where you and I come into the story. This is where you and I, if you follow Jesus, this is where we find our hope. This is where the story now connects with us because Jesus is talking about us. Thomas, you believe and you're blessed by it. And there's, there's a ministry here and I'm handing the mission off to the disciples. But I've also got my heart my eye towards those that are going to follow because of this message and they're going to believe without the same kind of evidence that you've seen. And so we're invited into this. So when we have the question, does the resurrection matter? Oh yeah, it, it matters. And so what I want to do is show you three takeaways 
on how we interact with this message. And this is not the only takeaways you get from the resurrection. But it is three that I think that, that the disciples and Thomas would share with us from their shelter in place, from their moment of encountering the resurrection as they speak to our time where we're controlled by fear and sheltered in place. And here's the first one. The resurrection, not your situation, confirms God's love for you. Because remember, they're all huddled together, and this has not gone the way they thought it would go, and they're scared. And Jesus comes, and he stands among them, and he shows them the nail-scarred hands, but he doesn't change their situation. He shows them the evidence of the crucifixion that he laid down his life for them, and he's redeeming them. He is the sacrificial Passover lamb, the one that was going to come and bring the new covenant into place, and the one that on the cross says his mission has been fulfilled. The one that trusted his heavenly father when he laid down his life, that it was his heavenly father that was going to raise him up again. He shows them that, but what he doesn't do is he doesn't snap his fingers and suddenly make their situation change. They're still a small group. And Rome and the Jewish leaders still seem large and in charge. And so Jesus doesn't step into our situations and make our circumstances his evidence for his love for us. What he does is he shows us his nail-scarred hands. That he would be willing to lay down his life for you and for me, yet while we were still sinners, while we were unrighteous, while we were in rebellion, lay down his life. And so it is the crucifixion and the resurrection that become God's proof of his love for you and his love for me, not our situation. It's so easy to look around and think God either loves me or he doesn't love me. God's either present or he's way far off based on our current circumstances, isn't it? And this may be a word for you as you experience a job loss. This may be a word for you as you experience an illness. This may be a word for you to experience something in your life that's going on either during this season or long before COVID-19 showed up. And you're thinking, God can't be caring about me because my circumstances don't say that it is. And again, Thomas and Peter and John and the others would say, oh, no, no, no. It's not your circumstances. It's not your situation. It's the resurrection that proves God's love for you. Second takeaway is this. In the light of Easter, locked doors and tombstones are technicalities, not finalities. Je Jesus walks in to a locked room twice. So shelter in place doesn't keep Jesus out. But what would we expect when a tombstone doesn't keep Jesus in? And so Mary shows up at the tomb that day expecting there to be what you'd find, a tombstone, a gravestone over the grave, a blocking of it. And yet she gets there and it's wide open. And you've probably heard it said before, Jesus didn't open the grave so that he could get out. He opened the grave so we could go in. And so that Mary, then Peter, and John could go in and see it is no longer occupied. It is no longer needed. It was a borrowed tomb and it was borrowed for only three days. And so we fall into this trap that we think whatever's going on in my life, whatever locked door I'm experiencing, and so many of our locked doors we feel like we've, we're locked in from the outside. 
and we don't know how to get out. What Easter morning tells us, what resurrection power tells us, is that locked doors are simply technicalities for Jesus. And there's not a locked door that you can put up, there's not a locked door that your circumstances can create that he cannot enter into, that he can't change the fundamental dynamic of. It's just not difficult for him because, again, locked doors are not a problem for somebody that walks through tombstones. And so, whatever you find yourself in this Easter, know that, that it's a technicality, it's a temporary situation, but it's not a finality. Which brings me to the third takeaway, is this. Peace is found because we know the end of the story. Remember, the first words of the resurrection, the first words of Easter morning were, peace be with you, peace be with you, peace be with you. And again, those words were spoken in a shelter-in-place context. And now the disciples were being revealed the end of the story. And now that story, that message, that truth that Jesus comes and he speaks peace with them and he sends them. He gives them that, that breath commission where he sends them into, into the world. That changes their courage unbelievably. The same guys that were sheltered in place just a short time later are going to be standing from some of the most powerful men in Jerusalem and saying, you killed the Messiah but he's alive. They're going to be preaching and proclaiming and healing and teaching all in his name. And they're going to start a movement that's going to go around the world. And they're going to face hardships. They're going to face their own martyrdom, many of them. They're going to face imprisonment and persecution. And yet, they continue to take the message because they knew how the story turned out. You may be familiar with the name Admiral Stockdale. Admiral Stockdale was one of the highest-ranking members of the Navy. During Vietnam, he was a naval aviator, and he was shot down. And he spent seven years in a POW camp, and it was brutal seven years. And he never lost hope. And even in some of the most unimaginable situations for an extended period of time, he never lost hope, and he was interviewed by Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great. And Jim Collins was trying to find out leadership secrets and, and what goes into the formula of making a great leader. And so Jim Collins asked Admiral Stockdale about his time and said, how did you persevere? And he simply says, I never lost sight of the end of the story, and I knew I'd persevere. And there it is for us. You may feel locked in and caged in and kept in, but now we know the end of the story. And whatever chapter in we're in right now does not define the outcome. It, it's real. It's tangible. We, we experience it. And I'm not trying to minimize it. But we know the end of the story. And so we can endure with courage. And so however you find yourself today, the Easter message for you is simply this. That Jesus walks into wherever you're sheltered in place, wherever you feel locked in, wherever you feel caged in, and he says, peace be with you. He, he walks into your difficult marriage 
and says, peace be with you. He, he walks into your unemployed status and says, peace be with you. He walks into all the anxiety you have about your child that is, seems to be breaking away from you right now. He says, peace be with you. He walks into that relationship between siblings that have been fractured for years and it's been so long and so bitter that you almost don't remember what the fight was about. He walks into that and says, peace be with you. He walks into the medical diagnosis and it's all negative and says, peace be with you. He walks into the presence of that wound that you received from mom and dad years ago. And perhaps mom and dad have passed away long ago, and yet you still feel that wound because it's as if it was fresh today. And that hurt in your heart, and he says, peace be with you. He walks into your life that's been interrupted because of COVID-19. Plans for graduations and proms and sporting events and celebrations and birthdays. And says, peace be with you. All because we know that this chapter is temporary. But the empty tomb, the resurrection, Easter morning is final. And the story is always defined by how it ends. So you and I, we're invited into that story. We're invited into this this account, this gospel message, where the one that perhaps you've been afraid of because you feel such shame and regret, just like the disciples did on that very first day, that you feel like you've disappointed God and you've walked away from Him and you've, you've turned your back on Him, so therefore He's turned His back on you. Or for some reason, you never felt like He cared. Easter morning to you means that he's saying, peace be with you. And it is the crucifixion and the resurrection that shows his love for this, and it is the outcome of the story. I'd like to pray for you now, if I could. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we gather around phone screens, and computer screens, and TV screens, Father, this is definitely unique. This is different than we experience, but Father, you walk into our shelter in place. You walk into this scattered gathering that we have. Help us to hear the words, peace be with you. Even though we can't be all together, Father, help us to hear that as a collective one, as, as a group of followers that are hoping that that's true, give us the faith to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that the tomb is empty and Easter power is what it claims to be. So Father, I pray for all those who this message is coming at a time of great anxiety, whether it be financial, physical, relational, something unknown about the future because of of this situation, Father, whatever it is, Father, that you walk into that, that Jesus shows up alive as the King of kings and says, peace be with you. And help us to hear that. Not, not just to acknowledge the words, 
intellectually, but to experience the words with our entire being and all who we are. Father, that's my prayer. And I pray this in the name of the one that walked out of the tomb, walks through locked doors, doesn't care about how we want to shelter away and be isolated, but joins us in the middle of all of this. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. This, this has been great to spend Easter with you this way. Not what we'd hoped, but still there's blessing in that. And so as we go, as you enjoy the rest of your Easter day, just remember that the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. And that, even in lockdown, is reason to celebrate. Even in quarantine is reason to rejoice. So let me bless us together with what we call the grace as we recite this and invite you at home if you want to join along in saying this together and let this be a blessing as you experience Easter power, Easter day, resurrection in your life. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all forever and ever. Amen.